Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is award-winning sound designer Scott Gershon. But let's start here. One of the worst things about being a creator on YouTube is when you get a copyright claim. If you infringed on somebody else's music or graphics or voice or video, then that's certainly warranted. But what happens to many creators is that YouTube tags them with the copyright strike even on their own material or with material that's improperly licensed. Repeated copyright strikes can get your video removed or even your channel shut down. So that's something that everybody wants to avoid. The problem is that the process for disputing a false claim has really been a headache for creators, taking a lot of time and not being entirely clear on what to do. Thankfully, YouTube has announced new options that it hopes will help creators speed through this process whenever a copyright claim is submitted. One of the things that will happen is that YouTube's copyright claim notification emails will now incorporate multiple claims within one message, as opposed to sending you a new notification for each individual claim. It will also include a set of steps that you can immediately use to rectify the issue. YouTube has also stated that it's improved its automated detection system to help eliminate any false claims, as well as a pre-published check process in order to detect potential violations before you even upload. You can be sure that mistakes will still occur, but the new process hopefully will help to iron them out very quickly. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with new song, lyric, mixing, and mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help you get your music out to the audience that you deserve. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. That's rebrand, R-E-B-R-A-N-D dot L-Y forward slash AI Handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And here's something interesting. We all have noise-canceling headphones these days, and it's something that just about none of us can live without, especially if you do a lot of traveling on airplanes. Well, now a team led by researchers at the University of Washington has developed some deep learning algorithms that let users pick which sounds come through their noise-canceling headphones in real time. The team is calling the system semantic hearing. Headphones stream captured audio to a connected smartphone, which then cancels all the environmental sounds. Either through voice commands or a smartphone app, headphone wearers can select which sounds that they want from 20 different classes, such as sirens, baby cries, speech, vacuum cleaners, and bird chirps. Only the selected sounds will be played through the headphones. Tested in environments such as offices and streets and parks, the system will be able to extract sirens and bird chirps, alarms, and other target sounds while removing all the other real-world noise. When 22 participants rated the system's audio for the target sound, they said that on average, the quality improved compared to the original recording. As in other applications, AI is helping to take noise canceling way beyond what we commonly use today. Is this something that you need? Well, probably not, but it's also something that once you give it a try, you might not be able to live without it. So look for this coming to your noise canceling headphones one day soon. My guest today is award-winning sound supervisor, sound designer, and mixer Scott Gershon, 
whose audio work has enhanced a variety of different visual mediums in film, broadcast, streaming, and games. Some of Scott's vast credits include major films like Pacific Rim, Hellboy 2, Chronicles of Riddick, Team America World Police, Shrek, Star Trek, and American Beauty, and best-selling games like the Gears of War series, Epic Mickey, and the Resident Evil and Fable series. Scott has a talent for creating personalities with his voice, which has been tapped for such memorable movie characters such as Flubber, Disney's Herbie, Reapers in Blade II, The Dragon in Shrek, Kerchak in Tarzan, Leather Black in Pacific Rim, and Dogfish in Pinocchio, just to name a few. During the interview, we spoke about how much time it takes to generate deliverables for a movie, how he records sound effects like rocket launches and helicopters, what qualifies as great post-production, the difference in the mix between movies and television, how much gaming is different from other visual mediums, and much more. I spoke with Scott from the studio in Burbank. We haven't talked on a podcast in five years, more than that, seven years, I think, 2015. So what has changed for you in terms of what you do? How has your working method changed in that time, or has it? You know, I don't think much has changed, actually. I'm trying to think how things have changed a little bit, but I would say not a whole lot. I think we. We're still talking on Zoom. We're still delivering content via Spera. So we're still online as we were then. We're still telling stories, both in movies, streaming, and games. So that hasn't changed a lot. There has been no console changes. And um, there's been no delivery change formats. I think that, that, that what's coming in the near too distant future is a, a better integration of Atmos into Pro Tools. I hear that that's, you know, a month away, two months away. And then being able to do spectral editing inside of Pro Tools via, via isotope technology. I saw kind of a, a prequel of things to come. Um, that was pretty exciting. But I don't think, you know, it's like recording records. I mean, it's musicians show up, they, they play their songs. The technology, I think the emulations of, of vintage gear has sort of been the same. I'm trying to think if things have changed. I mean, guitar, you know, on music side, guitar modeling has been increasing exponentially. What, has your setup changed? No. <laughs> okay, I'm boring. Thank you. No, I, well, Atmos has changed for you. Well, yeah, but we've had, I've had Atmos for a long time. Since the last we spoke, I'm trying to remember. Well, I mean, at the end of COVID, we updated my room to Atmos into a uh, 714 setup, which is used for everything but not theater, you know. Um, so it, it's more not theatrical Atmos. Um, I did a, a five, two hours uh, 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 seminars on not theatrical Atmos. Uh, that was kind of fun, and and uh, I sometimes like to to host the, the the classes that I actually want to take. Yeah. So I got a lot of my friends on, and we all talked about not theatrical because theatrical atmos is pretty much understood, I believe, but non theatrical atmos is the sound bars, is it up firing speakers, is it down firing speakers, 
is that you know what is home atmos and and then not only that but we also included music so we we had such you know wonderful people with andrew sheps on talking about the music side as as well as many other really cool people and uh not only that is you know used to be that when you made records you would you would be in the studio make a quick cassette run in your car take a listen well we don't do that in post we don't run to a sound bar and say how does it sound we might roll a tv in which we'll hear you know the worst sounding how it sounds playing on broadcast but um for atmos we haven't done that yet and that was one of the questions i had and the other questions i had was can you get around some of the lkfs standards by using Phantom Center, because a lot of times the Netflix is minus 27 LKFS off the center speaker within the frequencies of dialogue. So you could take a sound, give Phantom Center to left and right, and it still sounds like it's center. You can't do that in film, because mm. there is no Phantom Center in film, yeah. but there is in home theater. So there's a lot of fascinating um, approaches to problems. When you're delivering to the stage, what do you deliver when it comes to Atmos? Uh, theatrical or not theatrical? Theatrical. Well, theatrical is it's somewhat simpler because Dolby shows up, and they have their recorder, and we do a a Dolby rendered version, and then we also do you know a seven one a five one a, a stereo, and then we do M and E's in same formats sometimes it takes as long to create deliverables as it takes to mix the actual show yeah not surprised I'm, I'm saying that it usually takes five days is fast but for it to take five to seven eight nine days is not unusual to do all the versions and that doesn't include this china want their version wow now you would think that there'd be an automated way to do that i know andrew has Andrew Sheps has an automated way for him to do all of his deliverables. It, it, it does, but the problem is Atmos. So you have 128 tracks, you've got beds and objects. Yeah. You know, you, there is no way within the Atmos format, which I've spoken to Adobe about and probably many other people, you know, you can't put your m &E and your stems and the stems, you know, you're looking at dialogue, music, effects, design, Foley, background stems. Each one of those is seven one, and then you got an M and E, um, and then you've got to figure a way to, to fold that all down. So, Dolby Atmos is, is meant to be played everything all at once. Yeah. So you can build stems and objects, which is not unusual, but you can't do the M and E's. You can't do a stereo version, a five one version. That it's just not meant to do that. So then you've got to print it. It doesn't render it. You've got to do a real-time live record it's just the way atmos is set up that's a drag it's like you're creating one atmos it's our product but when we do multiple languages we have to deal with that so we're doing an m and &E music and effects and then we're doing multiple formats for uh you know and not only at different spec levels and then we have to send it off to the company and they're going to qc it so if they hear a snap, a tick, uh, something they don't know, they send it back. 
you have to fix it. And I've seen it. Most people don't do deliverables until they pass 100%. And I've, you know, everybody has been three, four times, you know, Netflix. What's that? Well, that's a footstep. It's not a click? No. <laughs> so they've got to decide how much they want to pay. And then once that's approved, then it goes into deliverables, and every deliverable is QC'd. And if they find something weird or questionable. Wow, no wonder it takes so much time. It does. And then the M&Es are, you've got to break out all the crowds. you got to break out different languages. You need helper tracks, which means I'm not sure. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. So in country, they'll have to decide whether they're going to use that track. Tell me about when you're recording effects, are you recording? I know you, you did it in surround. Are you doing it in immersive? Are you talking about recording sound effects? Recording, recording sound the... effects. Yeah. No, you know, um, I've done it all. And I'll be honest, I'd rather record. I have, I have a rig that is a three channel rig. So I have, uh, well, I have many setups, but this one setup I like are two 8040s in an ORTF situation, mm. and then an 8050 down the middle, which is hypercardioid. So that does two things for me. It gives me an LCR record, or it gives me mono and stereo right off. So I have those choices. Sometimes I want it to go mono to be more intimate into that center speaker. I've done five-channel recording. The thing that most people don't realize, especially if they're doing handheld, is you're breathing into the surrounds. You, you, you just even though matter you although and any kind of movement so that's a little odd so sometimes if i do a five channel i'll put it on a uh, stand somewhere i'll take another rig and then i'll handhold that but i kind of like cardioid super hypercardioid omni to the right you know if i'm smashing two trains together uh, i'm gonna go omni i want to get the full low end and so it really depends. And to me, microphones are paintbrushes. They all have different colors. So it depends on what I want to, you know, am I going to use the second 100K mic? doesn't have great low end, but maybe I'll use 100K mic and then I'll use a Cascade ribbon mic with a cloud lifter. Do you uh, predetermine that before you go to record or are you just taking everything you have and then figuring it out? Yeah. A combination of both. Yeah. I, I figure out what it, 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 some of it is I got to be mobile. So when I was going on Pacific Rim and I was recording a lot of robotics, I only had two, two setups with me. I wanted to make sure I get that mic in really close. So that's where it's a great having, great having an LCR rig. That's all you need. Am I using contact mics? Sometimes I use that. Sometimes I'll use a ribbon mic if something's really sharp and, and spiky. I will uh, occasionally, if I can get electricity, I'll get two mics or studio mics. Um, we, I, I brought in a, a mother raccoon and her babies. Uh -huh. and I had 67s and a, you know 251s and shotgun mics. and Because a lot of times you, you need to figure every direction because they're, they're like, talk, growling to the mic. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, so you just try to catch it any angle that they can. Um, I think that when you're out recording, a lot of times you're at the right place at the right time that the sound happens. I, I did a rocket launch at Cape Canaveral, and we brought lots of mics. 
and the one that really was very nice was a um the a five channel mic i think it's called a 5100 yeah b and k and um and that was nice we just the bicycle seat we just put it on in a pasture somewhere and just recorded what we can get um when i was dropping giant cargo containers we had 30 mics because we knew it was loud we only had two hours so we put in every i did every drum combination i can think of we had re20s d112s contact mics 57s but then we had two five channel mics and it was a it, it was a massive mic collection to see if anything would pick it up correctly yeah. and and always when i record it's usually a combination are you recording in 32-bit uh i am now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know if the if the unit has it but i still have like a 788 which isn't 32-bit yeah but it's the mic is on it are pretty pretty nice so uh it depends what recorder i have but with the new uh mix pre and and some of that they you know I'll, I'll do it if i have it available yeah that's the way to go especially for for what you do geez because you, you just never know what you're going to get yeah i mean you know it's common it's a combination of a lot of things uh i recorded i went down to one of the air force bases near san diego and i was recording what's a, a, a helicopter called a sea knight it's one of the largest helicopters in the americans arsenal and um you know they i said well you know it came over to me straight on and stopped the midair with me underneath the blades and it basically started lifting me <laughs> two marines jump on me to keep me <laughs> on the ground and my boom pole is like everywhere <laughs> we were getting flung around like a hurricane and of course it was totally unusable and then i said you know what that's that was fun how about we just we we mic the helicopter from the side so the downdraft doesn't affect us at all yeah you know so there's always tricks on how to um to record all sorts of things animals aircraft cars when you're listening to a mix and it could be a movie or tv or games and can you remove yourself from the technical part in other words are you listening through it and going oh I, I, that's yeah. my, that's mistake. so I, I i i'm pretty easy on that so yeah i can watch movies all day long and enjoy it what i find is okay so most movies are average sounding they do the job i can get into it that was fun then two things will happen oh let's say i get a movie that sounds very very good i'll go wow this sounds i usually go to my wife and nudge her i go this sounds really good then i just watch the show and then i go okay i'm going to watch it again a second or third time to now listen um occasionally i think the hardest thing is when there's a show that i, I feel didn't do a great job that will pull me out of the show wow huh <laughs> I mean, like, okay well, well what's typical that you hear that that would distract you like that you know i think the goal of a good sound designer and everybody in post is to be invisible you want to be able to just get into the story with great acting and great storytelling great cinematography and and the sound should complement it in a way to be invisible you know you shouldn't hear pinocchio's footsteps unless you're listening for it you know you're not there's things that you but at the same time if i took them out you'd notice occasionally people will overuse sounds 
So some people want to be stylistic, and I love to be stylistic. But again, you got to be stylistic in a way that blends into the story. The moment every, the moment any one specific craft sticks out in a non-natural way, you notice it. And not notice it in a good way. I mean, I did all the Oliver Stone films, and and those were like really weird. But in a good way, it was it was it was built into the fabric. But there's occasionally out here, I can always tell a young sound designer when they're they're like bombarding you with sounds that don't help propel the story, but more like, isn't that really cool sounds? Yeah, yeah. What it is, I think, in the equation of it for music, as a guitar player, as a guy groove going down, it's really kind of neat. It's in the pocket all there and then somebody just takes heavy metal and just starts screaming guitars and it's not even part of the genre yeah you're like what the, huh it doesn't doesn't fit funny you should mention i i have a good friend chris boardman who's a film composer and we're talking about films one day i think i mentioned a, a film a mel gibson movie that i saw and he said oh yeah i scored that i said gee i'm sorry i don't remember anything about the score he said to me, you know, that's the best compliment you could ever give me. It is. It is. And I think that, I mean, there's some scores that are just prolific for different reasons. Um, most of them are John Williams. But your jaws, you yeah, know. Yeah, sure. Music and even what I do should make you feel emotions. And like, I do a lot of creature voices. So I vocalized Herbie. The, Herbie as in the car. Herbie fully loaded. And someone said, oh, I... I I didn't know Herbie had a voice. I, I don't remember hearing that. And that's was, that was a thank you. I said, my question was, did you find Herbie cute? They said, oh, yeah, it was cute. Oh, absolutely. I said, it's a Volkswagen. Think about that. Yeah. So a lot of it is, if you do your job well, I think for composers and sound people, you should become invisible. And you should, I mean, even the actors, if you see an actor acting, that's not good. You want to be, they need to be that character. So much so that so many great actors have been typecasted because they did such a good job. Uh, the the actor in Silence of the Lamb, who was the the bad guy, couldn't get hired in Hollywood because he creeped everybody out, <laughs> and, and everybody knew he was an actor. He was doing a part, but the community was like, you know, I, sometimes you transcend so well that you get. Um, pigeonholed into that you know fonzie took him a long time to break out of that absolutely so it's kind of like what sometimes you succeed in i remember john williams for years they were like i don't want star wars or raiders i don't need that score and i'm like i think john could do more than that you know dad so when you become specialists danny elfman john you know john williams when they do something that is so prolific they have to then sometimes prove that they can other things same with engineers and producers because the you know they get typecast because they'll have a hit in one area then everybody wants them for that particular area and they go oh wait i do other things or i did other things before this and i want to go back to doing that good example is what lady gaga's been doing she had the meat suit she was said my little creatures my little monsters and then she had to work really hard to say look i can sing acapella i can sing jazz i can i'm not Madonna 2.0. Yeah, right. And then nobody even thinks of her now as Madonna 2.0. They just think of Gaga as Gaga. 
Yeah, I know you do films and you do TV and you do games. Let's talk about mixing. I'm sure the approach is different for all of them, but what is different? Okay, so let's just talk about streaming and movies because that's 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 a little bit easier. When I mix movies, it's like a rock concert. I got subs. I got sounds around you. I could rock the room. And relatively within 3 to 4 dB, maybe 6 at the most, it's all the same volume. Just if they turn it down. They never turn it up. They always turn it down. But it's still kind of the similar experience. And there are specs that they at least try to adhere to. They use a lot of times a small group of speakers, usually JBLs. So it orbits around a very small amount of variations. The biggest variations in theater is the actual building of the theater. Big, small, is it raked, is it not? So in that, we can rock the room. We can do all sorts of really cool things. We can move things around you. It's a big screen. You're in the dark. In theory, you shouldn't be doing anything else but watching the movie. So we've got somewhat of a captive audience. Okay. It can be dynamic. We can, you know, it usually it's very, very dynamic. Okay. Then when we go to streaming, streaming wants to be movies at home. But at the same time, we realize the lights are on, the kids are playing next door, the dog is barking. So the first thing, interestingly enough, everyone says, we got to turn it down. Not really. You actually have to take the quietest moments and bring them up. So you've got to compress the lows and the highs. Sure, you want to make sure you don't rip somebody's head off. But, you know, if we're at zero, you know, minus 20 equals zero, zero um, is 85 dB, then you go from there. That's one set. But usually at home, if people are watching a show intently, meaning they're not having a conversation, most people are listening between 80 and 82 dB. If they are doing other things and it's playing through a conversation, then you could go all the way down to 76 to 79. Zero, you know, so dialogue lives in those areas. You know, and, and the question is, do you want to be able to talk while watching TV? And how much do you want the TV to distract your conversation? Tends to be a little more on TV than, than streaming, sort of. Streaming content, I'm grossly generalizing, but tends to be a little more intense, a little more dramatic, where... Uh, broadcast is less intense, so it doesn't require your undivided attention. I think people have just gotten used to TV in the background. People eat dinner with it. So I think those are the different dynamics in that area. In gaming, it's different because there is no mix in a traditional sense. There's no faders. What it means is, and it's spatially content that is uh, built with variation. So if I run towards you backwards, you're going to be behind me. If I run towards you frontwards, you're going to be in front of me or inside of me. In the computer, it's just a never-ending if this, then. It's all Boolean. So if you run up to me, bring the volume up. If you run behind me, bring the volume down. But as you, if you run away from me, bring the reverb up, the volume down. Early, you know, you can play with start early reflections. You can figure out where the object is is within an acoustical environment. You can then decide, wait a minute, there's 20 people in front of me, so I'm going to build a sound cone that says anybody within this cone, 
I want to hear anybody outside it. I don't want to hear it. Or I want to hear it ATB down. Now, is this something that you're doing or is this something that's automatically happening? No, it's, it's, everything is programmed by, it's called integration. Mm-hmm. So we create sound, we create audio assets and then we put it inside the game and it can be thousands and thousands of them. And every you know, with, we're many times two, 3,000 lines of dialogue. You know, it could be several thousand sound effects. And then there's music built, uh, broken out into stems that can be rebuilt to be interactive. So, you know, you may want to get rid of the pads and now it's just going to be rhythm tracks. Or you want to say, oh, wait a minute, there's an important moment here of dialogue. Don't play the melody. So it's sort of like Ableton uh, on automatic. I just saw an AI that was used for gaming that would generate brand new content every time, but it would do exactly what you're talking about, but it'd be with new content. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 what we do is we create what they call variations. So if I have a footstep, I'm not going to do a single footstep. I'll do like five rights, five lefts. Then I got to do it in sand, in dirt, in tile, in mud, in glass, and metal. Every scenario that, that, the area that the game is being is being played in. And then I gotta decide how much I even want to hear it. So not much has changed since we talked and, and what you're doing as far as immersive is concerned in Atmos. But one thing that has changed is your tools. The immersive tools are better, especially like plugins, uh, which now there are immersive plugins and there weren't the last time we did this. So do you use them and which ones do you use and where do you use them? You know, I, what I've seen in the last, yeah, you know, so the last five years as, as, since I've been with this group that I'm with now, it's been five years. You know, it used to be EQs are pretty good, plugins, reverbs, not so much. But now, you know, AltaVerb is sort of, oh, hey, we got AltaVerb, then you had Revive, then you got Cinema Rooms. You've got all these great, and then all of the uh, exponential audio stuff that was just wonderful. So reverbs now are fantastic as plugins. And what's interesting is every plugin manufacturer, you know, we've got every, you've got 20, 30 versions of LA-2As and 1176s. So a lot of people have been modeling stuff that was made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So rather than coming out, and very few people are coming out with anything new. It just, but I think what's happening is it's better access. I think 32-bit's been good. I think we have better headroom now. I think that while the craft hasn't changed, the computer CPUs are getting better. You know, Mac studios now are are faster significantly than the giant Intels. And that's just only within the last year. Yeah. So I think the ability to do more with less or better priced or just to do more. I mean, I could do 2000 tracks where I've never been able to do that. Um, so when I'm doing big movies that have lots of categories, I don't do 2000 tracks all at once. That's silly, but I'll sit there and say, well, these folders and tracks, are these going to be the guns? Here are the Ricos. Here are the, here are the, uh, robot footsteps. Here's the backgrounds. Here's the, the fire and debris. Those are all broken up into different folders. And then when you do that with Atmos with objects, yeah, you can get to 2000 tracks pretty fast. Okay. Is there something that you wish you had, a tool that you wish you had? Yeah, you know, what I'm looking for is the next, you talk about AI and the next evolution. 
it's interesting because I work in gaming and I work in film and streaming. The gaming stuff is very sophisticated. What I find a little frustrating with, and I'll just say, you know, Pro Tools, Nuendo, is they all are have been going after the holy grail of I want the console, a tape machine, and an outboard gear rack. Well, why don't the plugins talk to the workstations? Like, wait a minute, if you go out and record here, you're going to go into a tail of a reverb. You can't do that. There's no intelligence. They're like, well, wait a minute. We didn't have that in the 70s. Yeah, it's 2023. Yeah. Going into 2024. So nobody's making, or there aren't as many tools that are made from the ground up. Like, what do we need right now the way we need it? Forget about the way we used to work 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now let's look at newer ways of working now. I think some of the sequencers have, have tickled that. I think Reaper kind of, uh, kind of is uh, rebuilding it. They have ways of being able to script everything you can do so you can start building automation in Reaper that you can't even begin to do in Pro Tools because Pro Tools isn't, isn't intelligent. Well, you know, there's a whole new category of workstation that's coming out. It's called a GAW. G-A-W instead of a D-A-W, Generative Audio Workstation, which is basically an intelligence built into it. And a lot of them are outside the box where it's gesture-based. I like that because, again, we're so locked into the console and the tape machine and the outboard gear. You know, let's break that paradigm. Let's get something better. People are thinking outside the box finally on that. I think, you know, the hard part is if you're working in an open system or closed system, and what I mean by that, so in advertising, they do the dialogue, they record, they do the sound effects, they do the music mixing all in the same room. They never leave that room. If you work in a closed system, you can use whatever you want. But if I've got to take my system and go to one of a dozen mix facilities, then we all need to have the same gear. And that's a big investment. So in the early days of post, I was around, they had to choose, wait a minute, what do we support? Do we support a Synclover? Do we support Waveframe? There were 52 workstations at one point. Did we record Soundlink, Roland? I mean, you go on and on and on. Then the, the stuff in Europe. So most of them are gone. Some of them are still there. You know, Lexicon had theirs and SSL had theirs. And 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 out of that, now there's really there's one workstation, about two, Nuendo and Pro Tools. Then there's a bunch of really cool sequencers, Logic, Cubase, and a couple others. And then there's some small little units like Reaper and, and some other DAWs and, and little... I, I Actually, you know what? I will say there is something that is changing now that I think... We were talking about the last five years, and this is in the last five years. I can now play clients my material with picture and audio anywhere in the world either through headphones or if they have an apple unit i can play it on their apple tv that's new and with covid i can record people actors in the same way i think the ability to work anywhere you want is now possible which translates by the way in my world is the director can be wherever he wants yeah. but we're still <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, uh, when I was doing Pinocchio, Guillermo was in a cafe in France directing the actors uh, in London, and we were all in L.A. So that ability 
Uh, I'm now, there's some software that I'm starting to play with that allows me to spot with my crew. I would say that since COVID, a majority of sound editors now work at home and they prefer to work at home. And if they don't, you know, there was security issues and security issues are getting better, but the ability to do work at home in a commutative environment, again, it's different if you're a solo songwriter or solo engineer and really all you need is yourself. Well, that's 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 easier. But when you have to work in teams, that's different. I mean, one of the things I'm sure it's the same in post. Almost every engineer that came up in the '70s and '80s and '90s even lament the fact that there used to be facilities where there'd be three and four studios. So when you'd be in the studio, you'd meet other people in the lounge. You'd hang out. There was a sense of community that was happening. You knew a lot more of what was going on. You would be able to exchange information, techniques, cool things. That's gone now. When you're working at home, you don't have that contact anymore. You know, I have Zoom meetings. So when I did my end of three and part of Pinocchio, and, and even still half my crew is off-site, uh, we use Zoom a lot. I want to be able to talk. I think the thing, though, is... If you are seasoned and you have your bag of tricks and and it's a pretty big bag, it's a lot easier to do it because you already know what you're going to do. For all of my my young parts of the crew, I require them to come in because they're not going to get good on their own. They're not going to learn on their own. They're not going to go, how did you do that? Or why did you do that is even more important. What why, why did you make that choice? And I think that it has to be, I'm still a believer in community. But what it could be is you could work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at the office, Monday and Friday. But it really depends on, on are you running to work at home because you only put in four hours a day? Or you, I found when I was working at home, I worked harder. I was just going to say, yeah, I don't think it works that way. I think you, you actually work more. Yeah, because you wake up and you're like, yeah, I'm up. They say, well, yeah, start working now. Yeah. Or you know what? I want to finish this. So. You know, I'll watch TV with the family, and then 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock, I'm going to keep working. So, um, yeah, I, I found that I worked way harder, uh, and I got a little stir-crazy. Yeah, right. That's the other thing that happens. I make sure I go out for lunch every day just to get around people. Yeah. I mean, we would Zoom, and, you know, we would, like, have our, we have to Zoom just to see people. And then you 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 do get that sense we could talk to people, and that does 80% get you there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the same. You're missing that 20% in person thing. All right. Last thing, Scott. I asked you this last time, or maybe I didn't because it was 2015. It might have been before I've asked this. What's the best piece of business advice or best piece of advice that maybe you learned along the way or somebody imparted to you? Yeah. I have a lot of people that approach me who want to be in the business, a business, any business. Well, you have to basically go to where the business is. You need to eat, live, and breathe it. Your friends are in the business. To, to, to only to go in in the, in the creative services, to be able to go in at nine, leave at five, leave it at work, go home, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So I believe you have to submerge yourself. You have to understand who the players are. You have to see what the opportunities are. And it's a lot of fun because you kind of, you eat, live, and breathe it. You still have a life, but you find that most of your friends are in the business and and most of the social things, like, you know, uh, even what we've done with the numerous uh, podcasts, what are we talking about? The business. Yeah. 
you know, the sound business more than specifics. And you, you don't have to get into the details, but it's just where your life becomes. So my recommendation for anyone who wants to learn whatever you, creative service you want to learn is you got to go and surround yourself by like-minded people. And then you're going to find your times to be away from those people. <laughs> you want variety. But I think that, that you know, you've got to learn it. You can't learn it in a bubble. You can't learn it in a vacuum. And, um, and people either, you need inspirations from people. That's the big part. And I think the other part that I think you and I, and I do it now, I, I have to admit, I watch about no less than an hour, an hour to two hours of YouTube every day. And it's usually about those things that interest me, uh, which tends to be audio, music, and sometimes astronomy and physics. But I'm constantly learning. I'm like, ooh, I'm checking out new gear. I'm checking out new techniques, um, things that just interest me. Uh, the way things sound, animals. Ooh, I, I didn't know an animal made that sound. So I'm always learning. And I think, you know, we always joke about, wow, we had the YouTube. And we were online and had all this knowledge available to us 24 7 what we could have done so i think it's exciting now you know my son um, is going into visual effects and the visual side he just downloaded resolve and learned it in a weekend because he could that's amazing that's that's something that is unique to this time of life which we didn't have and i think that's exciting You know that you're an important person when you don't need a website, and Scott's one of those people, since everyone in Hollywood knows how to find him. There's plenty of information about him online that you can find with the Google search. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select a podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.